Hello and welcome to Superposition, the show where we examine multiple perspectives on everyday topics to better understand the world. In this episode, we sit down with our friend Matt to chat about common stereotypes Americans hold against Chinese people, and vice versa. More interestingly, we dive into where stereotypes come from and whether we will ever overcome them as human beings. Enjoy the show. Uh, so I'm Matt, and I'm pretty much just an average、uh, white guy that grew up here in the states. Specifically, I, I I'm trying to set the context <laughs> for you know why I'm on the stereotypes. Sure. You know. Uh, episode, right? This is、yep. this is、uh, important information. So I grew up、uh, outside of Boston in the suburbs.、Uh, I guess you call upper middle class. You know, my parents were both professionals: father attorney, mother a teacher. With you know, both so both had advanced degrees. So right now I work as a tech company recruiter. So、uh, really, what that means is I just bother software engineers all day. That's that's my job. That's my job too. Just, <laughs> in just in <laughs> yeah. All right, so Hanson, we can,、um, you know, after this, we can just we can just bitch about how difficult they are to work with. Yeah. yeah. Oh,、me. totally. All right, Matt. Thanks for、uh, being here.、Um, let's start with something spicy right away. So, what are the stereotypes about Chinese people when, when growing up? So, I want to also just add, you know, the caveat to this is I don't necessarily hold any of these yeah, views anymore. But this is、uh, again, looking back and、um, thinking about my upbringing and kind of what. It,、um, you know, what those stereotypes were, or at least my impressions were from、yeah. uh, from early on. So,、um, yeah, again, a little bit more context. So, I'm a、uh, about as old as the millennial generation gets. Like, I literally graduated high school in 2000, so I was born in、uh, 1982. Yeah. So, grew up in the shadow of the Cold War, and a lot of the focus in general was more on. You know, was more in like Russia, you know,、mm. um, and like their threat to the United States, like hegemony or whatever, and how you know communism is bad and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, thinking about it now,、um, there wasn't a ton of actual actual media or anything around Chinese people. I, I remember like here and there, occasionally there was you know the the Buy American movement. Yeah. Um, and all that kind of stuff, because I th- I think and like you know I probably completely wrong, but it seemed like around that time is when a lot of you know the production of goods that Americans wanted shifted overseas to China to be、um, you know to be manufactured cheaper, and so there was that kind of thing where、um, where like the American you know the American middle class kind of started declining because. Um, all of those, what used to be like just solid middle class, like factory jobs, were like shipped overseas, and so I don't remember hearing necessarily like resentment, like on a personal level towards Chinese people, but I do remember, I do remember like、um, you know, people talking about like you need to buy American、um, because it supports American jobs and like all that kind of stuff, and that was more kind of just like I guess in the ambient background of everything, but like really like the. The like the propaganda was much more focused on like Russia through like all the media we had, you know. Okay, okay, that's interesting. So, what are the sentiments towards Chinese people or China、uh, in general nowadays? I think one big aspect is sort of the politicized,、uh, you know, dislike or fear or just anxiety、uh, around China and China as a monolith, right? There's 
Usually on Reddit and on the internet, the American sentiment about China boils down to China bad, right? I'm not saying that there aren't people who can see things with nuance, absolutely. But when you have a platform that is entirely driven by faceless up and down votes, you tend to filter opinions down to the very simple, right? Like I would say 90% of the news you see about China are about something bad. Um, and when something happens, right, uh, you go into there and you look at the comments, the vast majority of the top comments will be fairly non-nuanced, kind of just uh, making fun of or straight up expressing hatred towards uh, China as a monolith. And there isn't, when I say monolithic, there isn't a big, um, there isn't a distinction between Chinese culture, Chinese people, and Chinese government. It's kind of just China. It's one thing. Um, and a lot of the image of China that's shown in the West gives people the vibe. And I, we can dig into this a little bit more later because there is a little bit of truth to it. Um, but it, it gives people this vibe that everyone in China is kind of like almost like militarized. Like you're at a young age, you're 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 standing in these large um, formations of people yeah. reciting these you know, like party politics and whatnot. Uh, so they, <laughs> the, the, the Western uh, stereotype does have that sense of um super like brainwashed robotic you know like very unified group of people that are all trying to execute on some political vision right yeah i mean i wish that's the truth the sad fact is we're very divided <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah thanks for bringing it up so yeah like matt mentioned and also handsome hinted a lot of debate nowadays are around chinese government and chinese people Right. A lot of people see that as one entity. And it's kind of true for a lot of Chinese people, to be honest, because they think highly of their government. Right. So when you offend the government, uh, they get offended as well. Um, unlike and the culture I, here in uh, the United States. Yeah. And I want to add one thing there. It's I, uh, I, I don't think most Westerners really understand how many Chinese people are actually really pro-Chinese government. Uh, so much of the portrayal here about the Chinese government is about like oppression and, you know, all these things that the people are actually really unhappy. Uh, are there aspects of that that are true? Yes, but it's way overrepresented. So many people I talk to in China are just straight up, you know, like very happy about what the government's doing, uh, you, you know, to an extent that I can't really understand because, as you know me, I'm pretty cynical about governments in general. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't think people necessarily realize how popular the Chinese government really is among Chinese people. Dig a little bit deeper into what Matt already mentioned. So I know you did some interview with people, uh, right? So we talked about you growing up, there's probably not too much things about China because it's not the main competitor. Um, nowadays, there are more, um, but it's still not a nuanced discussion at all, right? It's like this huge bad object that moving towards you is going to conquer you one day. Uh, is that also the, the sentiment when you interview other people? Uh, yeah, what, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, overall, that that tended to be the sentiment. Again, uh, like Hanson said, it's just it's just presented and viewed as this like I don't know. It's almost like the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. It's just like this this um, existential nice. like it's like this existential threat that you can't really identify other than like it's this huge thing that's bad and is coming for us. Like really, right. that's what it was. Something Hansen said, though, um, I think is an interesting point because I found this in my interviews as well, and it's the differentiation between um, 
Chi a Chinese person on the individual level and then the Chinese people or the Chinese government or the country, right? So the person I interviewed, and I actually didn't even know this, um, <laughs> which is really, really strange, but um, so my great my grandfather uh, was a was a judge here in Massachusetts. He started out as he started out as an attorney, and apparently he had a client. This is way back in the day, who owned a Chinese restaurant, mm. and my grandfather had helped him multiple times with like liquor license violations and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> right. And they became very very close friends, and so my grandfather would bring you know, his family to the restaurant and they would just be given everything, like the full spread. And the restaurant owner refused to let him pay because he was his friend, you know? And so that not only uh, kicked off a love of Chinese food for the person I interviewed, but it also informed, you know, one of these people's um, uh, like perception of Chinese people on the individual level, which is they're extremely generous. Right, and the, the I'm I'm looking at my notes right now, and like this is verbatim, and this is also the same person who then, you know, five ten minutes later, is worried about China, you know, coming in and and basically uh, undermining America's, um, you know, sole role as superpower in the world, and so I think that like differentiation of like how, um, how easy it is to understand a person on the individual level and actually. Uh, connect with them uh, and have like a genuine like relationship with them versus like again like the bigger kind of like China monolith because you hear the individual story uh, and how it like started you know this person's love of Chinese food and he's had this positive impression about Chinese people um, on the individual level his whole life uh, they even started talking actually about um, another example but it was actually a Vietnamese person which again kind of feeds into the whole like it's just you guys East are all a the same. Yeah, it's just it's just <laughs> East Asia, um, but it, yeah, but it was a similar it was a similar thing where, you know, he had done a, a lot of work for them, and they were so grateful that um, you know they would invite him to like uh, birthday parties, and it was like just very very much generous towards the people that they were friends with and care about. But then like again in five ten minutes, it was like I'm worried about communist China. Uh, taking over, taking over the world. Yeah, there are two very interesting points. The first thing is, I mean, that's kind of the why we want to do this episode. Is I mean, at the end of the day, you realize people are very similar, right? And no matter what uh, political spectrum they are on, no matter what ideology they subscribe to, uh, at the end of the day, most people are generous. Most people are grateful, and you can cross the bridge, right? No matter it's conservative, democratic, you can talk to them and be friends, right? And that's why I think it's really important to talk through those stereotypes. Uh, and we realize they are all, most of them are just facetious. But a deeper point you, bring, you brought up is, um, you know, there's this sentiment that the communist China is going to take over the world and dethrone US. And there's going to be this void, right? Because nowadays people subscribe to like democracy is the panacea to a lot of problems, but seems that's in challenge and uh, people are frustrated about the, about that fact. I really sympathize with that sentiment naturally because I do agree China doesn't have a universal story to push unlike US. And China, just based on my study of history, right? China never is interested in pushing a na narrative 
that should be shared by the world. And that's very foreign to Westerners. And I, I do agree that's, that can be very scary for a lot of people. So I, I sympathize with that, I guess. I think all of us are, have the capacity to establish a personal relationship and overcome prejudices and, you know, have these good moments with individuals from a different group. Um, but at the same time, hold on to those prejudices against those groups, you know, and, and that paradox is not as paradoxical as it seems. I think it's pretty common. Um, and then there is a point to be made. Uh, maybe it's less the topic about this, uh, of this top, this conversation, but it's this idea that the proliferation of like a certain country's ideology can be a threat to another, not even necessarily on a, like, you know, a racist level or like a nationalistic level, but more on the ideological level. Uh, so Ben Thompson, right. Someone I read a a lot of his articles. Um, he wrote one about the idea that China is really becoming like more bothersome to a lot of people, if you will, because China is starting to push its own ideology on other countries, which I think, you know, we could dive into this, right? Uh, but at a high level, what he's saying is uh, the example he used was a few, a couple of years ago, I think. Um, I think someone from the Houston Rockets basketball basketball team tweeted yeah. in support of the Hong Kong protests. And as right. a result, they got boycotted in China. Um, and basically, like, they weren't allowed to have their stuff be aired on, like, Chinese national television. Um, and, you know, Ben Thompson was making the point that, like, look, you, it's like China, the Chinese government decided to build this great firewall to control the narrative within its country. That's something that the liberal Western society would never want in their own borders. Right. If anything, they, they think it's a bad idea, even in other countries. But like, sure, it's you do you within your country. I'm, I disagree with it, but like that's still within your rights. But it's the idea that China's exporting censorship that's freaking out a lot of Westerners and Americans like, whoa, like because you're such a big market, you are trying to exert your influence on what I can say on my social media platform that you can't even see because you've banned the entire platform from your people. Uh, so the, the fear there is that you know, even though China isn't maybe historically as well known as Westerners to like manifest our destiny and uh, really push our ideology on top of people, they do feel that China's exporting those things that they very much disagree yeah. with, vehemently yeah. disagree with. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's a, I think that's a really, really important point too. Um, and this might be more tangentially related, but it also points out the lack of self-awareness that Americans have uh, about censorship because yeah, we might not, <laughs> yeah. we might not be as blatant as say like the Chinese government putting up a firewall around like social media, but America has allowed like a small handful of companies to essentially control the media. And that way they actually control the narrative and um, what is um, what is even discussed, the angle it's discussed from, it's like it's like a it's like a soft censorship that most people don't even realize because they don't take enough time to really kind of understand how all this stuff is connected, right? Mm-hmm. I think the most blatant example is is you know Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. You know you think do you think that he's going to allow like say um, like pro unionization uh, op ed to to get out? You know what I mean? Right. Or if, or if it does, it's it's not going to be nearly as convincing or something like that, right? Yeah. We have we have a certain level of censorship in America via you know unrestrained like corporate capture, but 
we don't view it that way because you know it's not the government doing it but there is right. to me a certain level of of censorship in america and i, I don't know if I, that, that even addresses your point or if i'm just like going it off does. on weird tangents all right i, I think i think i mean in a lot of ways the u.s or, or the western uh, countries are playing a better game right the censorship and the mind control is i mean i'm gonna sound like a conspiracy guy but <laughs> you're on way, your road the, to become the new joe rogan yeah the the, <laughs> the, the, um, the training of the let me rephrase this the training of the general consensus is more invisible compared yeah. and nuanced compared to to, to china i think yeah. hansen that your example about mba uh that mm-hmm. that incident is really interesting because i don't think most of the people in the u.s know the backstory um so why the chinese government it's actually i mean it's it's technically a, a branch uh of the government so it's not like you know the ccp came down right it's just the, the equivalent to the hollywood association but it's obviously operated by the, the government uh came down i say uh no TV stations can broadcast uh, NBA games anymore. But right. the backstory for this happened is there's a huge outrage by the Chinese people online. They are asking for the government to take actions because they're offended that the you know the owner of Houston Rocket, which was the most beloved team because Yao Ming used to play uh, you know, in that team, was really offended by the comments. Like, you know, if you scroll through Weibo, which is, you know, the Chinese version of Twitter, uh, you can see like millions of comments about please ban NBA, like we're not, not going to watch NBA anymore. That's when the government took action, right? So that is democratic if you if you uh, judge by, in a way, if you judge by the, the, the American standard, right? So it's not like Oh, China, the CCPs try to control the mind of people. It's actually the other way around. The, the people get so offended by the comments. I just want to say that uh, I just want to say I feel really bad for Yao Ming and all the work he did to you know <laughs> yeah. to get the NBA popular in China. And now, and now, yeah. and again, it, it's a nuanced topic. I wish like more people can hear both stories. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree. Freedom of speech is important, and there is some. I mean, it's not absolute in my opinion, but you know, there is. Like, you know, the reason why we're having this conversation because we subscribe to the ideology of freedom of speech to a certain extent. Uh, mm-hmm. But the situation in Hong Kong is nuanced because, you know, when you say free Hong Kong, the Westerners are thinking about freedom of speech, democracy, all the good, all the good fuzzy words, right? But when you say free Hong Kong, the Chinese people will think colonization, right? The, the, the suppression from Western, because Hong Kong was... Uh, colonized uh, was given to Britain, right? Mm-hmm. When China is extremely weak, and it came back to China after you know when China becomes stronger. And when you say free free Hong Kong, that's why Chinese people get uh, offended because it reminds them of the weak China uh, they they try to uh, escape from, right? So that's that's the that's the both uh, perspective that people need to understand. And and hopefully, I mean, there's truth to both. Honestly, I think from uh, from my perspective, that's super interesting. That's the first time I've ever heard that that um, point of view on it. And and frankly, I didn't really have an opinion about the the Hong Kong uprising because I, w- I didn't know much about it and I was too lazy to research it. You know, I was probably too busy, like I don't know, taking a nap or something. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the important but, things, uh, yeah, important things. But. Um, that's also somewhat related to like my upbringing and the education that I received. There's absolutely no way that um, 
that someone in America would ever get that context unless they went to college and took like, you know, college level courses and probably beyond and beyond like, you know, one on one courses to to learn the history of China or they went out on their own to learn the history of China. It's not part of our curriculum. Like getting kind of getting back to what I was saying about like the soft censorship, too, or like at least the whitewashing of American history. You know, that's exactly what's taught in America. Um, uh, everything is everything is um, our history is taught to everyone in public schools, probably private too, for that matter, from the American exceptionalism point of view. And just like, I don't know, we're just very, very self-centered as a, as a company, as a country in general. And so like those types of issues, we, we just don't know about. And, um, we're kind of, again, at the mercy of like I was saying before, what our American media decides, um, or the powers who control the American media decide, um, you know, what they think that the general populace should have an opinion about, you know, when it comes to that. All right. That is a huge tangent. Uh, let's move on to the next part, uh, which is about the stereotypes against Americans from Chinese people. I'm actually, I'm, I'm so interested in this because I really have no, um, I really have no idea of what like a different country's, um, I shouldn't say no. Like I, like I said before, like I, I tend to go to Costa Rica once a year, and like the stereotype is like all Americans are just super rich and loaded um, <laughs> down yeah. there. Um, I don't, but like this is gonna be fascinating to me. Yeah, sure. Um, so, from my perspective, uh, this is from personal experience, and also you know just social exposure, spending um, the first eighteen years of my life in China, um, and doing a little bit of research online, which you know kind of summarized my thoughts on this. One thing to really clarify is that at least growing up, it may be less so the case now given the political tensions, but at least growing up, frankly, the overall stereotype of Westerners and Americans is quite positive in China. Uh, and, you know, we can dig into this a little bit later, but, you know, stereotypes come from exposure. Without direct exposure, as, you know, 99% of Chinese people probably, maybe that proportion is lower now, but a lot of Chinese people don't grow up really personally knowing any Americans, Right. So that indirect exposure comes from media. And because Hollywood and, you know, American uh, media is so powerful and so influential in the world, so much of what we see of portrayal of especially white Americans is so desirable, right? The most good-looking, richest, most adventurous, most action-packed, most sophisticatedly produced movies feature Americans, white actors. Uh, and so... You know, before I get into the negative stereotypes, it's important to call out that there is a, a positive bias. And I think it goes back in history quite a while as well. You know, even back in the days of colonization, uh, you know, people may have had hatred towards colonizers, primarily white. But there's also a sense of jealousy and a sense of uh, wonder, right? Like, oh, these people are coming in with these fancy guns and fancy clocks. And, you know, there's a sense of and they do have a absolute superiority over the locals so people absolutely look absolutely have a sense of fancy and looking up to some extent right it's kind of a twisted emotion if you will you're being oppressed by a group of people but at the same time they have better shit than you so you kind of want to be them um so i think there's a little bit of history there so yeah uh a lot of positive stuff what about some negative stereotypes uh some things that come to mind um loving guns it's this like, it's almost a, a fetish, 
right, that Americans have with guns. Like, guns are cool. Like, who doesn't like guns? You, you look at most countries, like, boys growing up playing with tanks and planes and guns. Like, that's, you know, that's normal. But, like, American obsession with guns is almost sexual. It's like, it's this really weird, you know, like, super, super strong affection towards guns. Um, and excessively meddling in other people's affairs. That's another stereotype. <laughs> you know, Americans seem to have this stereotype that they, they're they quick to jump into your business and tell you what you should or should not be doing, right? Quick to condemn uh, other people's actions. Uh, another few ones, rapid fire, Americans are stupid. Um, <laughs> Jolie you know. was that one. <laughs> right? Well, uh, actually, actually, you know what's funny is that was one of the stereotypes. The opposite was the stereotype of the people I interviewed that um, all Chinese people were very smart. Yeah, I mean, that's the truth. I don't <laughs> until think I, Until I met – yeah, but then I, then, I met, then I met Seed and it was just yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seed and I were actually exiled from China. We failed the test, the IQ yeah, test. Well, yeah, one of the dumbest motherfuckers. <laughs> We help. should just change our uh, a podcast to dumb Chinese people or something more <laughs> yeah. catchy than superposition. Yeah. All right. So that, does that actually explain a lot of the uh, the Chinese immigration here? Those are the people that flunked out of China, basically? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we, we failed Gaokao and we got exported. <laughs> <laughs> our problem now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So to expand a little bit, right? Quote, stupid Americans. Uh, sometimes it's just a general, like dumb, you know, thing of saying like, oh, they're, they're not very sophisticated, right? Like they, they aren't very good at math. They're kind of just stupid and lazy. Um, but m sometimes it's a little more nuanced. Like they are overly direct. They're not like sophisticated enough, if that makes sense. Right. So in Chinese culture, uh, it's a very indirect culture. You're supposed to read into a lot of things. A lot of things aren't said out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, and Westerners are kind of known to be a little more direct and somebody sometimes overly and unpleasantly so for Chinese people. Uh, the other stereotype, Americans are fat. Um, I don't want to get into that whole topic of what's fat, <laughs> what's overweight. Let's just say Americans <laughs> weigh more on average than Chinese people. Uh, and that is the stereotype. And there's, there's some truth to that. Um, and one more thing is uh, Americans tend to be pretty arrogant and really entitled. Um, this is something that's more, I think, commonly experienced with people who actually come in contact with Americans, right? Like when you start talking with Americans and they ask you questions about China, I've gotten so many stupid questions from, uh, from people, uh, like, Oh, do you guys, do you guys have ice cream in China? Like, do you <laughs> still bind their feet? And I'm like, have you learned nothing about China? You know, um, so they, they tend to think that they're the center of the, the universe sort of, and everyone else is weird, you know, uh, like. Our food is just food, but your food is ethnic food, for example, right? Everything we do is like just normal, but what you do is exotic and like weird. Um, I think that may be a less of a function of, you know, uh, any particular culture and more just like when you are that dominant culture in the world, yeah. you get to be the default, right? But that that's right. very funny uh, for America to think that like our culture, our, our cuisine is elevated because actual true American <laughs> cuisine is not like any elevated cuisine was influenced by another country you know no. um like the most american food is like hamburgers and like fried chicken which are delicious and awesome but like you know it's it's not it's, we're not we're not france right we we yeah. didn't like make um you know refined dining um you know popular or anything like that when you tie it all together a big part of the american stereotype is this self-centeredness 
mm-hmm. on the individual level and on the culture level. Yeah. Uh, on the individual level of just being super confident, but also tends to be pretty selfish. Like everything's about me. It's sort mm-hmm. of the me country. Uh, and about the culture as a whole, it's like we are the mo- most advanced. We are the best thing that humanity has ever produced. And so we are entitled to look at other people and say how backwards they all are, how fucked their systems are. Uh, and, you know, in other countries, I think they're maybe just a little bit, have a little bit of less hubris. Like mm. maybe they'll say like, we disagree with them, they're wrong, but it's less like we are more advanced uh, and hence they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, they're, they might not be... Um coming at it that way from like the morally righteous high ground which is definitely definitely very very uh american like yeah we are we are an incredibly judgmental uh country yep. and a lot of it is just um almost projection because america has its own history of like atrocities in other countries that again don't get don't get taught to americans in our school in our school system like that's just not part of the curriculum the curriculum is very uh again uh, set up to feed into exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. we are from day one taught that we are the shit that america is the shining beacon of hope for the world we are righteous we are we are the best like we are the peak of civilization for all of history right and so like that's the message that's constantly you know, told to us um, from, you know, from the moment that we can, you know, we can talk and all of our media is, is directed in that way, you know, as well. Like, um, a lot of people don't know this, but like, Marvel movies have to be like the scripts have to be approved by the American Department of Defense, you know, really, which is nuts. That is hilarious. Absolutely nuts. So, yeah, again, it's like that. It's like that is so (laughs) un-American. Uh, or, right? or, like is it, or is it meddling in <laughs> or is it super american i don't know i don't know, you know? Or, or that yeah. yeah but um it's that like it's like that um soft censorship that i was saying that again mm-hmm. gives like the individual american that like inflated confidence because you know when when you're told it's just like if you're if like on the individual level if, if a, you're raising a child and all you do is is pump their ego all the time of course they're going to be self-centered arrogant entitled because that's just what they've been told their entire lives. And I think a lot of that comes from that. Yeah, I think as Dave Chappelle famously said, the most dangerous person in history is always a self-righteous white man. <laughs> 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 Which is, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, Except for the, for the one Mongolian guy who right, was right, 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 even right. scarier by a lot yes. of measures. But yeah, it was yeah. a one-off. Um, um, so I, we'll come back to this, but... Mm-hmm. Is, so I also want to talk a little bit about the Chinese stereotypes against other people, right? Yeah, uh, it's not just. I'll about let you white. do this. I, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> it's not <laughs> just about white guys. I think there's, especially for older generations, uh, there are a lot of racist attitudes mm-hmm. uh, or stereotypes um, against, especially uh, uh, black people. So not just uh, African Americans, but you know. Uh, even Black people, people would, Indian people, yeah, you know, people other kinds of Asian people. Skin colors. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is very interesting, right? Because on, on one hand, especially nowadays, um, Chinese people are, uh, I mean, like Hanson said, um, large fraction of people still think very highly of United States and American people. But there are a group of people who don't like white folks, right? Because they think they are arrogant, they meddle with our internal affairs. But on the other hand, 
they find people with darker skin colors inferior to them, <laughs> which is very funny. All right. Lots of interesting discussions about stereotypes against Chinese people, against Americans. In a superposition, we always like to conclude our episode with something more metaphysical. And we never discussed what actually is stereotype. Where does it come from? My, um, my perception, at least, of where stereotypes come from is just like a habit that people tend to do just as humans. It's kind of like how our brain works. Like we'll take... We'll take one situation, one interaction, and we'll globalize it because it helps us make sense of the world. Like that's, you know, our brain is is actually built to do that because there's so much actual like, you know, stimuli in the world that we see every single day, and it helps us organize it in a way. So I think a lot of it, it really is just like individual kind of uh, perceptions that you then apply to an entire group of people, and then maybe someone else will have something similar and then you agree upon it and it's like oh so this must be true and then it just kind of takes off from there that would be i don't know that would be like kind of my thoughts on on maybe how it starts yeah so it's almost like a useful brain circuit that uh help you to grasp the the complexity of the world yeah yeah what do you think Hansen? yeah so first i want to start with two definitions of stereotypes i found right the first one I found is in, so so, in social psychology, a stereotype is an overgeneralized belief about a particular category of people. The other one I found is a group of characteristics believed to be shared by all individuals who belong to a group. That's the definition. I know much of our conversation today have focused on unpleasant stereotypes, right? Potentially harmful stereotypes that end up giving people negative experiences as a result. Uh, and it is intertwined with discrimination and bias, right? But I do agree with Matt that stereotypes are very useful. Almost, uh, I, I personally think it's a fundamental aspect of how our minds work. Uh, and I think a good thought experiment to conduct is what if the stereotypes aren't about people, right? Because everything, we live in a liberal humanistic society. What that means is we think humans are special. We think being human comes with a package of uh, properties that are sacred, like human life has dignity. You should not take a life. You should not disrespect someone. People should be treated equally, etc. So let's talk about plants. Maybe that's less controversial, right? Is it a stereotype to say, I don't know, leaves are green, right? Our brains make these generalizations because our brains evolved not to give people the most just treatment, but to survive. And to survive, you need to make quick judgments. And to make quick judgments, you need really hard and fast rules that you can use that's correct 90% of the time. And I, I fully think that uh, stereotypes exist as a, almost a necessary function that we're evolved to do. Um, and stereotypes in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. They're very useful. It's only in specific scenarios that stereotypes end up harming some people. Right. So I think we can all agree that the stereotype has the root in um, being a very useful mechanism in our brain circuit to help us understand the world. Um, so, so do you think is the, is the quests to eradicate um, all the stereotypes is just a waste of time then? 
couple of angles yeah. on that. The first thing I will say is I think it, it more or less will be a treadmill, kind of like the euphemisms we've been creating for all the uh, offend, offensive words that used to be medical terms and now are offensive because people co-opted medical terms to insult people. So now we invent more complicated medical terms and then people co-opt those words again. Uh, have you heard the concept euphemism treadmill? It's this idea that... Uh, words keep getting reinvented because they keep taking on bad meanings. So we keep making new words for those things. Uh, and then the people who try yeah. to insult people with those old words will just use new words to insult them because the the fundamental human need to insult is still there. And it you can keep taking away their right. words. They'll just make new ones. Um, so yes, I think to an extent, um, it is a quest that will never fully reach its like ideal state of quote, no bias. That's I don't think is ever uh, yeah. doable without something fundamentally different about the assumptions we're making. For example, if we were to eliminate all humanity, then we could eliminate humans' bias tendencies, right? If we were to create a super AI that makes all the decisions for us, then maybe it's possible that it wouldn't have human biases. But would it introduce other biases? I don't want to go down that road. The second thing I'll say is, uh, well, is the quest entirely futile? I don't think so either. I think the movement to examine our stereotypes uh, is an opportunity for us to affect real change. So, you know, the we, we like to say political correctness in a derogatory way, and I have my own gripes with it, uh, but it's about changing conversations, right? It's about changing how we talk about things, challenging the way ways we talk about things. I think the world is a feedback loop between what you think, what you say, and what really happens, right? That's been shown in many ways, like, for example, women in STEM. Right. A lot of studies have shown that women are just as good at STEM as men if they weren't taught to believe that they're not as good as men at STEM. Right. So the world is a super reality in that, like it affects itself um, in that way. So by injecting change into a part of the feedback loop, you can expect real change to start happening down the chain. Uh, and even if it doesn't push you to the ideal state, uh, it does affect real change in the world. And I think the fact that we're having this conversation here and the fact that, you know, you and I as two foreigners from China have a job, right? As we just talked about a hundred years ago, this was nigh impossible. Um, I think is that's real progress, right? That's not just surface level. Don't talk about these words because they make people cry, right? That, that's, that's real change. Yeah. Um, and my final point on this is I think it's a good opportunity for everyone to do the self-examination uh, we all have stereotypes because, like we said, it's a useful tool. We all have impressions. We all have generalizations about all kinds of people. Um, but are you willing to re-examine those stereotypes? I think that's the key question. Some people are more willing to say, you know, maybe I was wrong about these people. Maybe, maybe I was wrong. And I think having the humility to even ask that question is a really, really important step to take. Because the other default reaction is a defensive one, is one where people go, oh, you're just trying to say these because, I don't know, the liberals or the conservatives or the Chinese or the Russians, you know, brainwashed you and wanted you to say this. When your position, if, if your position is by default to hold on to your generalizations and it makes you angry and offended that your generalizations are challenged, then I think it's maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for you to improve. I think that's very well said. Like Hanson mentioned, we, in a way, need to tolerate a certain amount of stereotype um, in society. And he really elegantly said, you know, how do we make progress? Uh, 
I would uh, also add another point from a personal level. I think, for example, as an Asian man, right, who uh, had a lot of stereotypes against against me, um, how do you deal with it? Like, I, I for me, I always find the best way to break through those uh, those walls of stereotypes is to ridicule, right? Like, I a lot of times I just say, uh, you know, <laughs> right off the bat, I'm gonna eat some dogs today. For lunch, <laughs> right? We all know how, like, you know, see, like everybody laughed, right? We all know how uh, ridiculous, how ludicrous that that uh, that sentence is, and also we then soon realize how ridiculous the assumption is. Be able to ridicule, uh, maybe it's from a personal privilege, right? I'm not actually physically threatened, or even economically threatened by any of the stereotypes, right? That's why I have the privilege to do this. But I think in most cases. I generally believe 99% of people are reasonable. They are just ignorant. And I mean, there's certain goodness to it, right? I, like I said to Matt, I enjoy a authentic uh, racist person <laughs> much more than people who pretend to care about me and get, be- get offended on behalf of me, right? I have so many good friends I made uh, in rural areas of the U.S., I like them much more than a lot of liberals who pretend to care about me, right? So I, I think it's really important for ourselves to break those walls by talking about the stereotypes, right? Ridicule them and find humor in it. I find that's a that's a good way to make progress as well. Yeah. So I, I think your point's interesting there. And I will say that, you know, earlier I was talking about how political correctness, even though it's got its own uh, shortcomings, can be helpful in changing the conversation. Uh, but I think there is helpful versus unhelpful political correctness or censorship, as some people would call it. Um, For example, Seed, you were there basically making fun of some Asian stereotypes. And generally, there's an unspoken rule that if if you belong to a group of people, you get to joke about it. But if you accidentally joke about some other group, even if you belong to it, but if people don't think you belong to it, right, you would get in trouble for saying something. And I think sometimes that is a little bit overdone. Uh, Like, I think it's unhelpful when you're getting offended on behalf of someone else uh, and you're trying to censor uh, speech uh, that could maybe lead to meaningful conversations, right? Uh, And the other thing that's unhelpful in in my mind uh, about political correctness is the response we have when we run into someone who hold different beliefs that we believe are more backwards, Right. I think it's totally fair for someone to look at someone else's opinion and say, no, you need to be more educated. I want to change your mind because I think I'm right. That's fine. But it seems like and the Internet has really magnified this tendency that our response to anyone who's not as progressive as we are is you're ridiculous and you should be shamed. You're deplorable. You're irredeemable. Right. And this anger, this this outrage, I think, is only pushing people away. And we're failing at even changing the conversation and changing thought, let alone changing yeah. the world. That's also that's also a game that, um, you know, you're never going. They're never going to win because no matter how progressive things get, there's always going to be the person who is going to try to be one or two steps ahead, and then again use that as like right. moral high ground to then criticize people. I think what Seed was saying is incredibly important. Like it's my opinion that it's far better to actually confront these things head on than have um a restriction or have people you know badgering you because you said you know you said something right um 
that they didn't agree mm-hmm. with. And again, that's just going back to like, there's always going to be that person. Like there's always going to be that person that is always going to be more to the, you know, whatever left, I guess is. The... Yeah. I mean, progressiveness doesn't equal to correctness, right? Being progressive, meaning you need to break down something, but you also need the wisdom to balance out what to be maintained and what to be break down. So let me ask you guys this one last question. So in the States currently, there's a lot of heated discussions about stereotypes, about racial injustice. People seem to be more and more paralyzed, not willing to talk to each other. So where do you guys want to see this end up, say in 10 years? The first step is just actually having a dialogue because I think as you know, we've alluded to here, people are extremely entrenched on one side or the other a lot of the times and, and are not even looking to actually have a dialogue. It's more it's more around um, you know, gotchas or, you know, um, pushing, you know, just stating your beliefs uh, as if they are, you know, the only one that matters, the only correct one. So, I mean, 10 years is kind of a short time for something like this. Mm. Uh, If you're thinking about like massive, massive social change. So I guess the ideal state for me shorter term would just be everyone just, you know, shut the fuck up and start listening to each other (laughs) stop you know what i mean just like at least like have the have the be willing to have the conversation because it does no good if someone is like genuinely super racist it does no good to just tell them that they're a terrible person like how are you going to bring them around to understanding um you know why their views are messed up you know right by just by just Mm -hmm. saying like no we're gonna shut you up you're gonna be deplatformed and like obviously I'm, I'm making the distinction between that or someone who's like actively advocating for like, um, you know, going out and shooting up like a synagogue or something like that. Right. Like it's the whole, for me, the whole freedom of speech thing kind of, you know, stop. It, it's the, um, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater thing. Right. Yep. But like, if you're expressing opinions that aren't going to like directly incite violence, um, I think you should be allowed to, to, you know, you should be allowed to voice those, you know, People should be allowed to criticize you for that, but it needs to be, maybe it needs to not be the criticism. Um, maybe it needs to be more of a conversation um, yeah. and just, again, trying to uh, like confront it versus, you know, versus using like um, the hammer of limiting what you can say to solve the problem because that probably won't solve the problem. Yeah, uh, I like what I think Joe Rogan said this. I mean, I, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but I like I, I like this <laughs> sentence he said. Uh, I think he said, uh, you are entitled, everybody's entitled to their su- stupid opinions, but they should embrace themselves <laughs> to the ridicule that may come out from other people. I, th- right. I think that's that's the good way to approach mm-hmm. this. Right. All right, Hanson. So... I wasn't thinking of the short time frame, so I'll give you a half-formed thought. You'll notice that, you know, I always try to think about the system and not the individual actors in the system. So how do you change something that is, you know, that has problems? Um, there's, uh, I think it's in the art of war, uh, and it's a Chinese saying, fu di chosen, right? It's the idea, it literally means taking the firewood from under the cauldron, right? So the cauldron has boiling things or whatever. If you want to put out the fire, if you want to stop the heat, 
to fight fire with fire or to fight fire with water uh, are not necessarily as effective as just taking away the fuel altogether for this for the problem to not even have a premise to exist upon. And for me, the really long term vision for humanity is, well, the stereotypes we're talking about are, you know, racial stereotypes or, you know, cultural stereotypes. It's one group that's relatively insulated from another group having opinions about the other group. And a lot of these opinions stem from the fact that they're so they have such limited exposure to each other. In my mind, when you talk about a long time frame of thousands to millions of years, I think there's a real chance that race as we know it today will not exist in a million years. Right. Uh, and so the way to systematically eliminate racial bias is to eliminate race. <laughs> nice. Just get out of the giant. And um, so I don't Hansen, think this Hansen just wants everyone to fuck is where yeah. it comes. <laughs> yeah. That should be my platform. I'm gonna run for I'm gonna run for office one day and just be like, everybody should fuck. Um, but uh, you know, it sounds a little more far fetched, and I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing, right? But in the very long run, uh, I think we could move on to more grand scale petty fights. So I think the new racism will between uh, Earthers and Martians. Um, and you know, people who are born in different parts of the solar system or different parts of the universe in the super long run, and will effectively splinter into different civilizations at that point because uh, unless we have faster than light communication, you can't tether the fabric of civilization together effectively. Um, but I think, you know, in the medium long term of millions of years, um, it is possible to move on to talking about other things. All right, that's a nice place to stop. Um... And, you know, so it's also good for us to get off this podcast and move on to other things. Thanks a lot, Matt, for uh, coming and chat with us. Yeah, I thought uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I really, uh, really appreciate you guys, you know, having me on and letting me uh, just, you know, uh, talk through my half-baked thoughts in real time. And I can't wait to hear myself on this after I get the dumb American edit. All right, let's go eat some food. <laughs>